Whew. If that doesn't do something to you, something's wrong, church. Something's wrong. Holy moly. Man. All right. Welcome. Man, it's good to be here. It is great to see every one of you here. As I said before, thank you so much for joining us in worship. Man, we are in our last week in our DNA series, who we are as a church. Our mission is that we are to be in the community for the community. We are in the community in as much as where our neighbors are, there our community is. And so that extends outside, even though it is a very large zip code, 35620 reaches a long, long way. Uh, we are called outside of that to the uttermost parts of the earth where our neighbors are. Our purpose statement is that we are together for the glory of God and the good of man. And so this mission that we've been given, it runs on the rails of this purpose. Together for the glory of God and the good of man. Is what we are doing producing unity? Is it bringing glory to God? Is it giving him the credit rather than ourselves? And is it to see people restored into right relationship with him? If it meets those parameters and it's something that we're for, something that we're going to do, it's something that we're going to participate in in that mission. And then for the last two weeks and then this week, we have talked about our strategy as a church. We want to see every person gather to group, and to move. If you hadn't noticed, I've got my little toy cars up here. I raided my kid's toy chest this morning. Sorry, they've already broken it. That's why I'm not showing you that sign. Everybody remembers their first car. Everybody. Some for good reasons. And some for bad reasons. But everybody's first car has an endearing effect. Give me some examples of first cars. What's, what's some of your first cars? The Zuzu hatchback. An Isuzu hatchback. All right. And that is so, that's so you, Miss Frenna. A Zuzu hatchback. All right, what else? An 81 Cavalier hatchback. Wow, nice. Very nice. Anyone else? Any, anybody think their, uh, their first vehicle is a cut above the rest? I had a 1977 Porsche. A 19... A Porsche? Man, that's awesome. All right, anybody, uh, anybody think theirs is a cut below the rest? <laughs> yeah? What, what was yours? 71 Vega. Oh, yeah. So, my first car was a 1999 Alero Oldsmobile. I would say in the middle of the pack. Now, you couldn't convince me that at the time. I was just happy to have wheels, right? But everybody's first vehicle has a special place in their heart because you get something with your first vehicle that you've never had before. What do you get? Freedom. Freedom. Wow, that was resounding there. That was nice. Great crowd participation this morning, man. Will's got them fired up. Uh, freedom. You've got a newfound freedom, right? You've got a way to get places you couldn't get before without mama or daddy, right? And so with your new vehicle, 
you've got new freedom. And by the way, your parents are pretty pumped about it too. Because you've got freedom, which requires the chauffeur service to take the day off, right? And so we're not at that stage. There is some fear that goes along with that. But I see people, and they get these first vehicles, these students that get their first vehicles, and I go, man, no way. Because I know what I did with my first vehicle. I ran it into the business end of a Roto-Rooter truck. That's what I did with my first vehicle. (laughs) Right? I rode a Rooter truck. That guy didn't know what hit him, right? It was an Alera, 1999 Alera Oldsmobile is what hit him, right? Hit him, with my, hit him with my car, destroyed my vehicle. The blow was softened a little bit by my second car, which was the 2001 Alero Oldsmobile. You see, the first car was my grandma's car. I got my grandma's car because she upgraded to an SUV. She upgraded to a Denali, and I got the Alero Oldsmobile. My second car was my granddad's car. And so I just worked my way through the grandparents, and they ran out of vehicles. I finally proved that I could keep a, keep a car between the ditch and outside of the bumper of, a, of another truck. Uh, and so they finally trust me with a decent car, my third vehicle. But I think about that first car very fondly because it was purchased for me with a very specific purchase uh, purpose. It was purchased for me for the purpose of getting my tail places I needed to be without my parents having to be there. It was purchased for me for movement. Vehicles, by their very nature, are purchased for movement. I'll have you know, the first vehicle that I ever purchased, you ready for this? Y'all know how cool and contemporary I am, so you know that this is, right? 2010 Dodge Caravan. (laughs) It's like she knew. Because I grew up, right? And anybody that has a beef with minivans, you're just too cool for to be any good, right? Because every parent knows minivans are magical. They are magical places. And then you get one with that has uh, has like heated seats. They get an Odyssey. And if you get an Odyssey, you've arrived, right? It don't matter how, what year it is, if it's got the TV in the back, you are, it is awesome, right? It's got loose steering so you can beat your kids in the back. You know, you get a new vehicle, you're liable to swerve all over the road, but you get a nice, worn-in Odyssey, you can spank your kids while you're driving. It's great. But I'll say this. I know that I purchased that vehicle for movement because when it doesn't move, I take it real personal. When I go to crank that car and... Or like just happened to me, all three of our vehicles went down. All three of them went down. I had no car to drive. I was driving one of our friends' cars. I didn't realize until later our drummer gave me his vehicle, which meant he didn't have a vehicle. I thought they had three. I thought that he had like flexibility. No, I was driving. They had one vehicle and we had one vehicle. It was terrible. But I took it really personal. Why? Because the purpose of a vehicle is to move. I would make this statement about your Christian life and my Christian life. We were purchased for the same intent. We as believers were purchased to move. The Bible word that we use is redemption. We were redeemed. And whether you look at that in the Old Testament Hebrew or the New Testament Greek, the translation of that word is 
unbelievably similar. Man, there are different translations on every word in the Bible, right? And, but this specific word has almost an identical definition. It's a financial word that literally means to buy or to purchase. Redemption with the idea of redemption is the idea of purchasing or buying something like our vehicles and so if we like our vehicles have been purchased to move why is it that many of us are content to remain in the garage unmoved and so our strategy is to create disciples to to grow people to the point that they see the value in gathering together. They see the value in grouping in small group together to do life with one another. It's cliche as that expression is to do life with one another and then ultimately to be moved in light of what God, how God has moved toward them to move themselves. This is the idea that we find in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Now, this is not in your notes. It's not going to be on screen. If you want to turn there, you can. But 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes to the church of Corinth. And he is describing his experience with the redemption of God and its effect on his life. Listen to what it says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is God's grace that has purchased me. Not something I deserve, not something that was merited. He gave it. The idea of the word is unmerited favor. He gave favor to me in his grace. But he didn't leave me there. His grace toward me is not in vain. He said, I desire that the investment made in me that I will create a return for that investment. One of the most empowering things you can do for people is to invest in them. Many of you in our missions giving, which by the way, that's continuing. If you want to continue to give to our Give to Go missions offering, that's going on throughout this year. Uh, We'll continue to keep that in front of you. But the reason why you gave to it is because you see value in it. And as you see value, you invest in these things. It's why we give money to everywhere, right? It's why we give money to groceries. We see the value in eating. It's why we give value, right? An increased value recently to our, to gas, right? Cause we got to get around, right? We, we see value in these things. And so we invest in them. Paul's simply saying, I desire that, that my movement shows a return on the investment that God's made on me. And this is what he says. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So God's grace was given to me Initially in salvation, I desire to return that investment made to me to God. And so God knows I can't do it on my own. So he gives me grace to do even that. God has redeemed us. He has purchased us for the purpose of movement. For the purpose of moving. Where do we move? In your, in your bulletin. Under the heading of move, you see written there the, descri- the description of that we are to move towards service and leadership in the church. That we move to serve, we move to meet needs. 
within the church and we move as a leader in the church in order to make a difference outside the church. Because if you are the church, by definition, you're called out to make a difference, right? So you're not just making a difference in the church, in this local body, you are making a difference and a dent in the kingdom of heaven, in the darkness of this world. And so here's the movement that we want you to take. Number one, we want you to move up. We want you to move up. The idea of this comes from growth in ministry. And so turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 5. We're in Hebrews a lot during this series because I just see a lot of parallels between where we are as the church and where the audience of the book of Hebrews was at. The book of Hebrews was written, we're not sure by whom, we we think maybe Paul, maybe some other early church fathers, maybe another disciple, we're not real sure. But it was written to Jewish believers, those that were born Jew, Hebrews, right, makes sense, the Hebrew people, who have received the grace of God. They, they, it is written to the church. And this church was enduring some of the most intense persecution they've ever endured. They're dealing with persecution from family members and loved ones and people they grew up with that were a part of the Jews because they had forsaken Many of the things that made them Jewish, right? And so many of their family members, the to, to side with Christ was to side in their mind against God's chosen people, right? They were betrayed. They were betraying their loved ones. And so they received a lot of intense persecution at a personal level through the Jews. They received persecution from a collaborative, from a governmental realm through Rome, right? Rome being polytheistic, wanting everybody to conform to their doctrine. The Christianity was not conforming. They were not fitting into the nice, neat little compartment that they were able to put the Jews in, that they were able to put other conquered people in. These people didn't fit into that mold, and so they were enduring incredible persecution, even to the point of death. And so the temptation was for believers to go back to being a Jew, Go back to doing what they were doing before, not sharing Christ, but just living a good Jewish boy or girl lifestyle to ease up on a little bit of this persecution. But listen to what Paul speaks of first. And we're just going to kind of take the highlights of Hebrews here in his message to the church. The first thing he tells them is it's time for you to grow up. It is time for you to move up. Hebrews 5 verse 11. And this is what he says, and about this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This word dull is very interesting. They have become uninterested, hard of hearing. They they Paul or whoever the, the, the church leader is, is speaking to them. And the lights are on, but nobody's home. As a pastor, I don't know what that's like because I know all of y'all are engaging just in the deepest level that you know how right now, right? But he's saying some people, at least back then, weren't. They had become dull of hearing. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. Listen, the gospel's come to you. And it's changed you. 
And God has redeemed you for the purpose of movement. And by now, you should have moved to the place where you are teaching this stuff. But that's not where you are. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the the oracles of God. You need to teach you again. What does that say? They've been taught it. They've been taught the gospel. They've been taught the basic principles. But they need remedial credit. Stuff that they have already gone through, they didn't get the first time, obviously, because their life, even to have this consideration of shrinking back in fear, is proof positive that they didn't get it the first time. They need a remedial course on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Do you know how people fall for a lot of stuff in the church? Because we're not used to living out what it means to be the church. If we lived out what it meant to be the church, the constant practice would prove to us that there are lions, there are wolves out there seeking to devour people, seeking to manipulate. But we don't know that because we stay in immaturity. Solid food is for the mature. Those who have power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You put it into practice. Practical Theology. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 6, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. What the writer of Hebrews is not suggesting is that we should leave the gospel. We should leave the message of Christ, we should leave it. What he's saying is if you have been in the church your whole life, And the only thing that you have knowledge of is that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin so that you could go to heaven. You are an infant in Christ. People say, right, like you get wiser, right? Like with years comes wisdom. Not necessarily. Sometimes you just get older, right? And especially in our relationship with Christ, just because years have passed by with us sitting in a church pew doesn't mean we've ever moved. Doesn't mean we've ever made a tangible difference. We've never moved up. We've never gone on into maturity. We've never asked for ourselves, is what this guy teaching, is it actually true? Do you think it's going to hurt my feelings if you challenge something that I say? Now, I may not agree with you and you may not agree with me. And if those agreements get big enough, maybe we need to figure out where it is that God's called you to be if you can't be under that leadership. And we understand that. But have we sought God's word for what it is? It is God's word. It's his revelation of himself to us. Maybe we're so easily persuaded by what God is in other places in our life because we don't know who he is in, our, in the revealed word. These people were dull of hearing. The problem was not all the persecution that was happening. The problem wasn't the the left. The problem wasn't the radicals. The problem wasn't the terrorists. The problem wasn't outside of the church. What he says is the problem is in the church. It's the fact that y'all are still drinking bottles when God has called you to feast on his word. And because you're infants, you're acting like infants and you are just as helpless as anybody. They're indifferent. 
they're dull of hearing. And so in your notes, indifference in the church leads to immaturity. It leads to immaturity. As a parent, my job is to get my kid ready to function in life, right? There are routine skills that every young man and young woman needs to know in order to mature. But I am not perfect in this endeavor. I'll never forget we were at a ball game one time. This was, gosh, way, way, way sooner than I would like to admit from now. Um, We're at a ball game. All the kids run out of the dugout to get on the field. And I don't see my kid. I don't see I don't see Cooper anywhere. My oldest son, I don't see him. And I start looking for him, and then I finally look in the dugout, and he is chasing down the coach like this. So what he's doing? His shoe was untied. And he was going, hey coach, hey coach, hey coach. As he's trying to get the game plan going, get the ball rolling, get stuff going, my kid's sitting in the dugout trying to get his coach to tie his shoes. I realized I had not taught my kid in like the third, later on in the third grade, how to tie his own stinking shoe. Dad, fail. Make a bunny, goes around the tree, through the hole, and pull tight. I hadn't taught my kid. Do you know how embarrassing that was as a dad? To watch my kid not be able to play this game that he loves because he doesn't know how to tie his shoe. And after I beat myself up for many, many hours about that, I saw how it could relate to this sermon illustration. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, or excuse me, in Hebrews 1, there is a race that is needing to be won. There is a race to run, and not just to run, but to win. And I just can't help but see I can't help to see in my mind's eye so many of the church bouncing on one foot trying to find somebody just to tie their shoe. We can't get out of the blocks because we don't even know how to tie our own shoes. We are at that place spiritually. And if that isn't bothersome enough, Many of us are okay with it. We're okay with it. God has called us to run a race with indifferent, or run a race uh, with passion, right? But instead, we settle for indifference, and as a result, we're immature. And so then we start saying things like, well, the reason why I can't be used to lead this group is because I just don't know enough. The reason why I can't serve in this capacity is because I just don't understand. The reason why I can't reach my friend for Jesus is because what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Do you know what we're doing? We're putting God on the hook for our own indifference. Our own lack of concern. The lostness of somebody else has not moved us to move. So we failed to move up. We have become immature as the church that requires the spoon feeding, the bottle feeding of a Sunday morning 
to provide the nourishment for our lives. And we wonder why the church is in the shape that it's in. Secondly, we're to move up, then we are to move in. If moving up is growth and maturity, moving in is growth and ministry. As God matures you, he puts you in places to serve. All of us in this room possess gifts and talents. All of us who are believers in this room possess a certain set of skills, a particular set of skills, right? Given to us by the Holy Spirit that is to be used within the context of the church. That is why they are given to you. And so turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We are called to move in. We are called to serve, to grow in the area of ministry. If you are still serving in the same capacity at this church as you did at the last church, or that you've done at every church, you are missing God's design. You're purchased for a purpose. What is that purpose? Hebrews 10, look what it says in verse 24. My reference is wrong there. Ignore that. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I've already preached this message. I've already preached this passage. Let us stir, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's why I mention it again. When you came to church today, what was on your mind? Was it on your mind, man, I have had a week. It has been hard and it has been difficult. I can't wait for some moments of respite where Will can play a sweet lick on his guitar and the band will join in in musical accompaniment. I can feel close to Jesus I can hear a word from God and I can just rest. I can receive a word from God. If you came with that mentality, I'm glad you're here. I truly am. But if you came last week with that mentality and the week before with that mentality, and last year with that mentality, and the year before that with that mentality, and before we existed, you went to the church down the road with that mentality. If you have done that, then my friend, let me describe your walk with Jesus. Immature. It's immature. By now, you should be teachers based on the grace that's been given to you, the grace that's been invested in you, and the grace that is to sustain you, but you're content to be indifferent, to be immature. And in our immaturity, we don't see a need to move. We become immobile. We don't move, we don't go forward because we don't feel a need to do so. 
right? And so if you're here under that impression, my friend, you're at the wrong church. I'm not going to coddle that. Like I'm, you're going to be challenged in that. Why? Because the grace given to us has caused us to move. We can't sit still. Can I tell you this? I arrive at church just about every Sunday about 8.15. When I got here today, a couple minutes after 8.15, truth be told, I walk in and I immediately smelled coffee. Immediately, coffee was brewing, coffee was already being made, smelled coffee. Wonderful smell, terrible taste, don't like coffee, you'll never convince me otherwise, I don't like it. All right? If you can make coffee not taste like coffee, I'm in, but as long as it tastes like coffee, I'm out. Smelled the coffee brewing. Wow, what a pleasant smell. As soon as I walked in, actually before I walked in, I heard... The music. They were rehearsing. The band was rehearsing. If you follow me on Facebook, you saw that I took a picture of our media team who was here before 8.15 to get everything ready. They're just as much a part, by the way, of our worship ministry as anything that we do as a church. Because without them, we don't sound good. And it's hard to make me sound pretty, all right? But that's what they do. And they are relegated. I called them unsung heroes in my post because the only time we ever look back there to see who's actually serving in there is when something doesn't sound right. Something's, oh, what are they doing? Back? And then we realize, oh, there's a sound booth back here, right? So when everything's humming along fine, nobody gives anybody any credit. But when everything goes wrong, everything, you know, then we're all shooting them bad glances, mean mugging them, right? Do you know why they do the things that they do? And I don't know if they've actually grabbed this verse and actually said these words, but there is a time where during the rhythm of their life, they said, you know what? This church thing, it ain't all about me. It ain't all about how much I can receive. Maybe I should consider how to stir someone else up. Maybe instead of settling for just constantly try to stir me again, pastor. They have taken a step of maturity into investing in the stirring of others. You know what they've done? They moved in. They moved in and they're using the talents and the abilities and the gifting that God has given them to make a difference. Turn to Ephesians 4. This is in your notes. Ephesians 4, verse 11. You can keep your hand there in, in Hebrews because we're going to be going back. But Hebrews 4, 11. Paul addresses the specific ways to plug into churches, right? He gives them specific titles. He doesn't say, and he gave the pastors, the work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's not what he says. Verse 11, read it with me. And he gave the apostles, that would be those that had been with Jesus, right? The 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He is describing a ton of people, and this is not an exhaustive list. He said, here's all of these functions, here's all of these roles, and God gave every one of them to the church. Boy, how unprepared are we as a church? If God has given us these giftings, we're not using them. Oh, God's given a pastor to north, or God's given a servant to north, or God's given a couple teachers to north. Can I just tell you, our home groups 
need more teachers. Amen? We need, we got big groups. We got big groups. We need more teachers. Paul says to the church and to Hebrews, hey, you've been here long enough, you should be teachers, but you're not. We have needs as a church. You know the statistics. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. The reason why is because 80% of the people have become cold and indifferent and dull of hearing. They hear the same message and they never move. Because immaturity in the church leads to immobility. The longer you stay immature in Christ, the less you see the needs of others. The less you see your need to invest in the church. The more you stay in indifference and immaturity, the more you miss the movement that God has for you. What does he say in verse 13? Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Until we attain the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we reach mature manhood. Until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These are collective terms, not individual terms. Our salvation, while it is great news for me individually, it is great news for others. And I am depriving the world, I am depriving the lost if I am not willing to move to them. I'm depriving the church if I'm not willing to minister in this context. Thirdly and finally, we've been called to move out. Moving up is growth and maturity. Moving in is growth and ministry. Moving out is growth and mission. Turn to Hebrews 13. This is some of the last words the writer of Hebrews pens. This is the takeaway. This is the nugget, right? We always try to do that. We always try to give little nuggets that you can take with you. You can apply to your life that you can hold with you and then it'll change your life if you'll allow it. He gives them... Something to think about as they leave. This is verse, chapter 13, verse 11. Last chapter of the book of Hebrews. Listen to what it says. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. They're burned outside the camp. What is he talking about? Well, the Jews would have been very familiar with this, under, with this, this principle, this illustration, right? They didn't, he didn't bring cute little cars. He gave them the illustration of the sacrifice, the sacrificial system. The sin offering to be made on Yom Kippur by the high priest, the animal's throat would be slit, the blood would be collected, the animal would be taken out, and the blood would be brought into the Holy of Holies to be sprinkled on the altar. He says the, the animal, the actual carcass is taken outside of the city outside of the camp verse 12 so jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood what's he saying we're breaking this up in small pieces here right He said, in the same way, Jesus' body, he did not make a sacrifice for sin in the confines of comfortable Judaism. 
But symbolically and physically, he was removed from that system of belief and he was marched on the Via Della Rosa, the way of the rose. He was marched up to a hill on the outside of the city where the lepers were, where the sin was, where the pagans and the Gentiles were, where worship did not happen. He was taken there and he was made a sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. It was outside the camp. It was outside the confines of what was comfortable. What he's telling the church, the Hebrew church is, quit trying to go back to the camp. Quit trying to go back to comfort. Quit trying to go back to your comfort zone, going back to what you know. Quit doing those things. Jesus didn't do those things. In fact, he didn't do it so much that they removed him forcibly and killed him outside the camp. And so he says, therefore, let us go to him. Not let's bring Jesus in the cross back in to Jerusalem, but let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let us leave familiarity. Let us leave the, all the comforts of home. Let us take Risk after risk because his grace toward me should not be in vain. Let us go to him who suffered the reproach of the nations, the sin of the whole world, the sin, the, the, the anger, the wrath of the Father. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Do you understand the gravitas of that statement? Why? For here we have no lasting city. Man, what you can feel, what you can touch, what you can be around, we running out the clock on that stuff. We have no lasting city. I would argue neither does the world. They just don't realize it. All the things that are so important... And they're trying to grasp with everything they have. And of course, they're going to struggle. Of course, they're going to be desperate. Of course, they're going to be insecure. Of course, they're going to be depressed. Of course, they're going to be alarmed. Why? Because it's stressful to lose things. And they're losing it constantly. We, they don't have a lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Quit trying to go back to Jerusalem and seek the eternal city. That's what he says. Let us go to him. Let us endure for a moment the reproach of this fading city. And let us seek the city that is to come. Because if we don't, immobility in the church, indifference in the church leads to immaturity. Immaturity in the church leads to immobility. And immobility in the church leads to irrelevance. Why is it that the world no longer comes to the church? Because the church has been immobile for far too long. We've settled for less. We've settled for less than surrender. I want you to hear from me. The clear expectation for you 
as a part of this church body is we want you to move in, move up. We want you to grow in maturity. And if you're not, we're going to prod and we're going to annoy and we're going to try to get you going in that area. We want you to move in. We want you to serve. Here, here's my clear vision for, for ministry in the church. Some of us feel like we can, only, we can only come and only attend one service. Well, if that were true, then what we did in the gym was completely off base. Because we had people getting there at 7.30 a.m. and not leaving till 1.30 p.m. Right? Setting up and tearing down and working like a dog with the only exception being that one hour of our service. That's what we had. Here, I want you to hear this from me. I want you to hear this. I desire in the area of moving in to see every person in our church, every believer in our church, motivated by God, not out of compulsion or obligation or guilt, but by the Holy Spirit of God to pick a service to attend and to pick a service to serve. We offer the same thing at both services. And we have equal need in both services. There are things and ways that you can invest. Serve one and attend one. And if we do that, if you do that, the needs of our church can be met. But I want you to move in. But lastly, it ain't about salt in a shaker. Ultimately, it's about salt scattered. We want you to move out. The last thing that we want is for the church to look at us, the, the, the world to look at us as the church, not just us as Lindsay Lane North, but us as the global church and go, what we are doing and what they are doing are irrelevant to us. The activity of the church is completely disconnected from us. You know, I want to lead my kids correctly. So I tell them a lot of things. And then I don't always live up to a lot of things. I don't know if I'm the only one. There's a lot of things I say. And then I'll say something really hypocritical like, hey, do what I say and not as I do. Johnny Hunt said this. He said it at a men's conference. And by the way, if you weren't there, you missed a blessing. Man, it was good. Your kids won't model your advice. In fact, sometimes they do opposite. Most of the time, especially in their 10, 6, and 3 at least, they'll do opposite. They won't model your advice, but they'll model your life. What's the direction you want to see your kids growing toward? What's the, what, do you, what do you want to see? How do you want to see your kids making a difference in this life? They're not going to model what you say. They're not going to model what you do. And it's the same way in the world. We can say all day long we care about the needs of the lost. But as long as we spend all of our time on what happens in these four walls, we, they don't hear a thing. Because we're not living it. We're not backing it up. So what God has called us to is movement. Will you move with me? Will you move as we pursue godliness together? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Purchased for the purpose of movement. To serve at the good pleasure of the one who bought us. Does that describe your life today? If it doesn't, man, God has called you into that right relationship. 
If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, listen, my friend, you can try all you want. You can join as many programs. You can join as many ministries. You can, you can join as many home groups as you want to join. And my friend, that will never happen in your life. You will find yourself lacking a dollar short and a day late every single time. Because the change that happens in us doesn't happen from our own effort. It happens through our connection with Jesus. By God's grace, Paul said, I am what I am and his grace toward me is not in vain. It's not me that's living, it's God's grace living in me. And so if you are not changed, there's, there's a reason. So if you've never experienced that change in your life, God makes himself available to you through relationship. Maybe you're here, maybe you've been to church a ton, but you've never, it's never been personal for you. You're fighting a losing battle, plugging into stuff. God doesn't want what you can do. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, he gets to see what he can do through you. So if you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ, I want you to know we will give you that opportunity to respond, to move. How about that? The message where we talk about movement, God's giving you a chance to move, to move into a relationship with him. I'm here. It's a pastor. would love to talk to you here at the front. And when we say amen, you gotta, we'll stand, we'll sing. You can find the center aisle. It's easy to find. Find this center aisle. Come and talk to me. We've got counselors who would love to meet with you about any decision that you need to make today, any movement that you need to make in your life. Maybe that's salvation. I would ask that you would come. Maybe that's just getting things right, rededicating your life. Maybe that's baptism. Maybe you need to follow Christ in that first step of obedience, knowing you're a child of God but needing to let others know. Maybe you need to join our church, join what God's doing here. Whatever the case may be, I pray that you would move as he leads your heart to do so. And I don't have to explain that anymore because I believe God, the Holy Spirit, will do the rest. If you need to move, I pray that you would. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for how you lead us. May your grace toward us not be in vain. Father, let us move up into maturity. Let us move in in ministry. God, let us move out in mission. God, let us respond to you in this time would be the prayer of this pastor over this flock, over this people. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? This altar's open. You need to do business with the Lord on your own. That's here for you. Respond as the Spirit leads you in these moments.